everyone, and welcome to episode 96 of season three of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee ki our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is David Brooke of Blueprint Review. Welcome back to the show, David. Hello, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. One of my yeah. favorite films, it's uh, yeah. Excellent. I'm 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 very glad to hear that. It's it's always nice to talk about Die Hard. You know, even even with people who uh, you know were were on previous shows with Playtrain and Automobiles, for instance. Yeah. You know, so it's hopefully going to be a very very fun week. We have we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we'll just have to uh, you know we'll have to we'll have to maybe ask you a few questions just to see if you got anything in, in if you got anything in the chamber. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. So episode 96 begins with John uh, showing that he knows the truth and ends with John ducking under a table for cover. So basically the way that we ended things last week was that, you know, John was with uh, Clay, William Clay, Bill Clay. And, you know, he decided to to give Bill Clay a, a gun. And the two of them were on their way. And then uh, we find out that Bill Clay, or John finds out that Bill Clay is not really Bill Clay. We already know it's not. <laughs> we we know who it is. It's Hans Gruber. And Hans, you know, uh, points the gun at John and tells him that he wants uh, he wants his detonators. And John turns around and goes, "Well, well, well, Hans." You know, and and the way that he responds there, he's basically showing both us and Hans that that he knew that this is what was going to happen. You know, he was he was able to predict that something was 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 fishy about uh, Bill Clay. You know, do do you, you get that sense also, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, it's more obvious, I guess, at the end, at the end, but he because um, he doesn't have well, unless we get to that later, but. Um... Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But you're just trying from, to get that. From his I don't think you get that idea. You don't get that idea straight away. I think early on, going back to I guess the previous episode, I kind of I got the you kind of feel like he doesn't realize because there's that moment where doesn't he look at um oh, wait he look he sees the names on the um yes he sees the names on on the yeah. on, about the the floor plan and stuff like that and we we went through last week all the names most of the uh more than half of those names are people in the production yeah we were were able to go through and and find a whole bunch of them that that are part of the production because it it, it, because i guess you could see that and i I don't want to step on the toes of the previous episode but i guess you could see that shot of him clocking the sign as either way i think when i watched it rewatched the film recently in my head i got the idea um that oh no he thinks because he's on that list he must be an employee so in in my mind there he he doesn't know that he's he's a bad guy. He's testing him, and 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 Hans has passed the test at that moment in my mind. Um, so to be honest, I what rewatching. I mean, I haven't seen it before, so I know what happens, but but I don't, I couldn't remember every detail. So in my head, I was thinking, oh no, he he mustn't realise, and uh, how's he going to get out of this one? Uh, right, but I'm... I think by this minute, the, how he reacts, how he reacts when Hans turns around with the gun, does suggest that he he, he knew. So yeah, yeah, he's not. He doesn't. He doesn't look scared so to speak correct um, he had a very high suspicion yeah, yeah. i guess you can that, say it that way but 
but the kind of cinematic language, if you like, before of showing the sign and stuff may just made it suggest that he didn't know or was Correct. testing him. And yeah. right. Right. Well, obviously, his question was when he introduced himself was was to test him to see how, you know, Hans would would react. And one of the things we talked about last week was, you know, Hans had a, a like a one in 50 shot of of actually using a name that John didn't know. You know, because he doesn't know how much, how many people John really knows there. You know, it just so happens that maybe he knows who Bill Clay is. You know, we don't know. Yeah, or he's seen that same sign or whatever. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, we we brought up a theory last week that Bill Clay is the inside man that Hans killed beforehand, so he knew that Bill Clay wasn't going to be showing up. So that's possible. You never know. Yeah, maybe. Because the, the the movie seems to go in the direction that there's possibly an inside man that would give away some of this information that, you know, that they, they would know how much money there is and stuff like that. But, you know, yeah. it's never really discussed. So, you know, they we do we, know an awful lot about it. Yeah. Yeah. So we brought up the theory that maybe there was an inside man. And then we so were thinking about it and we said, wait a second, maybe the inside man was Bill Clay. And that would work out perfectly because then Hans knows that Bill is not at the, uh, you know, not at the party because he's like in someone's trunk or something like that. Maybe he's outside yeah. in Theo's trunk, you know, that type of thing. And Hans then says to him, put it down now. And I I love, one of the things I love about this, this scene is that both of them think they have the upper hand. Yeah. You know, Hans believes that he has the upper hand because he's holding a gun. And John, we will find out a little later in this minute why he thinks he has the upper hand, but he's, he's also acting very cocky the entire time, Mm. you know, and then John like continues talking to, to him, you know, he's, he's sort of trying to bait Hans. You see him like lick his lips, stuff like that. And he goes, that's pretty tricky with that accent. You want to be on TV with that accent. Yeah. But but what do you want with the detonators, Hans? I already used up all the explosives. Or did I? Now, do you think this conversation is for us more? Or is it for, for John to be telling Hans that, that he was able to see through the whole thing? And now he's working the whole story out uh, verbally. What do you think? I, um, well, I think it's probably a bit of both. I, I do get the idea that um, that John's trying to find out why he needs these detonators. He's, he does seem pretty confused and kind of curious about that. Uh, but it, but it, it's, it's, it's for the audience as well. I mean, I guess everything is on the film. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is also to help spell things out a bit and uh, try and... And it, um, it does, they do a nice job of that. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. For sure. And, you know, as John is talking, he's walking to, casually towards Hans, which is great because he's also able to to shorten the distance between the two of them yeah. because, you know, he's not concerned that Hans is going to try and shoot him. No. You know, and then Hans says, I'm going to count to three. And, <laughs> and then he goes, yeah, like you did with Takagi. So but the part of my problem with that phrase is it makes it sound as if he didn't count to three with Takagi. You know, it makes it sound as if, oh, you're going to count to three. You're, you're going to say you're going to count to three like you said you were going to count to three with Takagi. But we know that he did count to three with Takagi. He actually gave yeah. Takagi even more than than three seconds, you know, with the way that he, he did that. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. That is true. You know, now, okay. I, I So I was thinking about the fact that that okay he's saying he's gonna count to three what do you think the origin of is of the idea of counting 
counting down to something, counting up to three, you know, that type of thing. Oh, I don't know. It kind of feels like a Western kind of thing, but um, whether it's from the movies or some kind of historical record, I don't know. It uh, certainly seems like a, a cowboy kind of uh, showdowny kind of thing, maybe. I don't know. Oh, right. well, oh, no, it could be oh, a jewel, like in the kind of um, the days in in uh, Europe as well, maybe. Um, what, what do you mean, like 10 paces and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, 10 paces kind of thing, maybe. Right, but this is this comes across as more of a threat. You know, this is the type of thing is you and I, you know, we're both parents. So, you know, it's the type of thing you say to your kid, all right, I'm going to count to three yeah. or you're not going to get dinner or whatever the, the punishment, uh, you know, mm. or, or, you know, I, I guess these days, uh, no cell phone for an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I mean, it sounds more like a threat. So like I decided to, to try and look it up. And what I found was some pretty interesting things. First of all, that. I found a reference from 1848. Okay, in a uh, in a, a a book called The Doctrine of Education by Jean Paul, where it says another parental delay, that of punishment, is of use for children of the second five years. Parents and teachers would more more frequently punish according to the line of exact justice if, after every fault in a child, they would only count four and 20 or their buttons or their fingers they would thereby let the deceiving present round themselves as well as round the children escape the cold still empire of clearness would remain behind so again there there is a reference here to the idea that that you're supposed to count off to a child you know that's the there now the other reference that i found is from 1853 which is more which is closer to what you you mentioned okay this was in a magazine called the friend magazine that was published in January 1853. And it says, do you hear me, sir? Asked the captain. I give you whilst I count 10 to start. I do not wish to shoot you, Wilson, but if you do not move before I count 10, I'll drive this ball through you. As I hope to reach port, I will. Raising his pistol until it covered the boat swains, the boat swains breast, the captain commenced counting in a clear and audible tone. Intense excitement was de was depicted on the faces of the men, and some anxiety anxiety was shown by the quick glances cast by the chief mate and steward first at and then first at them and then at the crew. Wilson, with his eyes fixed in the captain's face and his arms loosely folded across his breast, stood perfectly quiet as if he were an indifferent spectator. Eight, nine, said the captain. There is but one left, Wilson, with it. I fire if you do not start. So again, it, it fits into to to both uh bo both references that, that that we mentioned. So it works. It it sounds more like a punishment the way that that, that Hans is saying it, you know, because I mean obviously as we know with Takagi, that that was a punishment. You know. <laughs> he didn't say I'm gonna count to ten and then I'm gonna shoot you, he said I'm gonna count to three. You know, wh why he chose I I wonder if it's more prevalent nowadays to, or nowadays within the last, uh, you know, 20, 30 years to, to say you're going to count to a smaller number than to, you know, a higher number. You don't really hear people say, okay, I'm going to count to six. You know, it's, <laughs> it, yeah, I it, guess it's, you know, it's either three or 10, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I guess in the film, it's probably more likely to be three because it takes too long to count to 10. That's <laughs> well, true. if you really want to draw true. the tension out, maybe, but, um, Right. If you're an action movie, it's <laughs> right. up a bit. Okay, that, that, that's true. That's very true. And at this point... I guess it also sounds, in a way, it's more evil because you're giving them less time. You're like, right, you've, you've got a very small amount of time before I kill you. Maybe it's more right. threatening. Okay, that's true also. 
And at this point, after after uh, John continues to bait him, so uh, Hans pulls the trigger, and nothing happens. Did Did you count how many times he pulled the trigger? Uh, oh no, <laughs> I can't remember. So he he pulled the trigger five times. Okay, which which doesn't make sense with because it's an automatic pistol. You know that uh, it, if it was a revolver or something like that, it would make more sense. And because also, if you have an automatic, have, have you ever shot an automatic pistol? No. <laughs> okay, so th- there's a cartridge. So there's a bullet in the top of the cartridge. So if you pull the trigger and it doesn't go, it's either jammed or there's no bullet in there. And if it's jammed, mm-hmm. if if by continuing to pull the trigger, that's not going to help. If you have a revolver. So each time you pull the trigger, it 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 uh, the cylinder you know changes. Yeah, spins around. Yeah. It spins around. So therefore, you know, there's more of a chance. And that goes. And that reminded me of the idea of Russian roulette. Mm. You know, are, are you familiar with Russian roulette? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dear Hunter, everyone knows. Her. That's true. That's very true. So what what you want you want to explain what what Russian roulette is then? Oh well, when it's uh, you put like one bullet in the chamber uh, of a. I guess a six shooter, whatever you call it. You spin it round. You don't know where it's going to land. You close it, and then you you give it to someone. They have to shoot themselves in their head. They have to pull the trigger aimed at their head, and they've obviously got one in six chance of blowing their brains out. Um, yeah, and you pass it round, I guess, right. between two people. Or, or however many there are. You know, yeah. Sometimes you can play. So, right, your Russian roulette is a potentially lethal game of chance in which a player places a single round in a revolver, spins the cylinder, places the muzzle against the head or body of the opponent or of themselves and pulls the trigger. If the loaded chamber aligns with the barrel, the weapon will fire, killing or severely injuring the player. Okay. Uh, the fact that it's called Russian roulette refers to the supposed country of origin and roulette to the element of risk-taking and the spin- spinning of the revolver cylinder similar to a roulette wheel. wheel. You know, that's the whole thing. You don't know where... It's just... So the, the first trace of the idea of Russian roulette came in a short story called The Fatalist, which was written in 1840. And it was written by Mikhail uh, Lermontov, who was a Russian poet and writer. So with the the story, which takes place in a Cossack village. So um, he decides that he wants to, uh, you know, he he wants to propose a bet. And in order to, to prove it, what he does is he takes the, a number of pistols. He takes a pistol, one of the pistols that they have there, and then he he cocks it and accepts the challenge to randomly take uh, take the pistol and not knowing whether it was loaded or not. And then he says, "I will pay twenty gold pieces for me," putting the muzzle of the pistol to his forehead. He then asks to throw a card in the air, and when the card touches the ground, he'll pull the trigger. The weapon fails to fire. But when he cocks the pistol again and aims it at a at a service cap hanging over the window, a shot rings out and smoke fills the room. the The term of Russian roulette. I mean, this was this was when the first idea of the game was written yeah. somewhere or whatever. But the term calling it Russian roulette was probably first used in a short story um, that was called the same. That was also called the same thing. It was called A Hero of Our Time by uh, George Sirtis in 1937. So I, I find it very interesting. I mean, I went in, I, I found information about like the probability and all that stuff of, of uh, you know, 
like what are the chances that if you have a bullet in the chamber that you're gonna blow your head off you know so obviously it's a one in six chance which is 16.7 percent but they they say that the odds are very different because of that because again it goes into all these different Mm -hmm. uh you know mathematical equations and stuff like that which i i can honestly say i don't really understand so Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not gonna try and explain i mean there's there's a lot of you 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 think that someone wouldn't do the math on something like this, but apparently they did, <laughs> and it's uh, you know they 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 say that that you know the odds are not one in six. It's it's actually very different. So I don't know. What can I tell you? <laughs> so the, hmm. there are some notable incidents that that we uh, know about it that that we we've heard that we that you know in history that we can find about uh, Russian roulette. So there, there was a there was a case in 1946 in a it was a Pennsylvania Supreme Court where they this teenager was being convicted of murder in the second degree because he sh- he was shooting a friend he shot a friend right they were playing a modified version of Russian roulette called Russian poker in which they took turns aiming and pulling the trigger of the revolver at each other rather than at their own heads. The court ruled that when an individual commits an act of gross recklessness without regard to the probability that death to another is likely to result, that individual exhibits the state of mind required to uphold the conviction of manslaughter, even if the individual did not intend for death to ensue. So basically, these two kids were playing and, you know, they were shooting at each other and one of them <laughs> killed the other. Jesus. Yeah, seriously. Um, in the autobiography of Malcolm X, so Malcolm X actually... Uh, talks about an incident during when he was a burglar where he played Russian roulette and he pulled the trigger three times in a row to convince his partners in crime that he wasn't afraid to die. So apparently um, that <laughs> at the end of the book, so Alex Haley uh, wrote in there that apparently Malcolm X uh, revealed to him that he, that he palmed the round, meaning that there was no bullet in there. You know, in order to do that, and the, and yeah. in the uh, in the nineteen ninety two film adaptation of Malcolm X, they actually have that in there. There's a scene about that. I, I don't recall that scene. I, I guess I should probably rewatch that movie in order to uh, you know figure about that. So there was a American blues musician named Johnny Ace who, in nineteen fifty four, uh, killed himself after he uh, accidentally shot himself by playing Russian roulette. Um, who else? Graham Greene, uh, in in one of his stories, the, the Sword of Life, which was an autobiography, was his first autobiography. He said that he played it uh, quite often as a teenager by himself. Hmm. Um, where else? Let, let's see. Uh, um, apparently, John Hinckley Jr., who assa- who attempted to assassinate uh, Reagan in '81, he was known to play Russian roulette. Uh, on numerous times and he even had there's a famous picture of him from 1980 where he pointed a gun at his, at his head then there's the, the the mention that you the, the one that you mentioned the movie the deer hunter you know with uh christopher walken and robert de niro where you know at that point they they even you know go go to greater lengths by putting more than one bullet in the chamber also mm. when they do that um uh, you probably don't 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 remember who this was. Do you, do you know who the actor John Eric Hexum was? Uh, no. Okay, so he was an actor uh, in the early '80s who was on a TV show called Voyagers, which is which was one of my favorite shows as a kid. 
it's, it was a time travel uh, show where you know these 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 two people had to go in and try and fix uh, fix real events. You know, not like Quantum Leap where they were fixing you know just yeah. d- different people. You know, they 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 went to like uh, ancient Egypt and and apparently there was a problem and and the basket of Moses wasn't put in in the Nile, so they had to place the basket in the Nile. You know, like fix little things yeah. and stuff like that. And then after that, he was on another show called Cover Up. Where he played like a bodyguard for a uh, for like a fashion consultant or something like that, and during one of the days of shooting, so he was playing Russian roulette with a with a revolver that had a blank in it, and he actually uh, killed himself because the the gun was too close to his head, and he ended up fracturing his skull, and uh, and and uh, you know bone fragments went through his brain. Jeez. And he, that that happened on October twelfth, nineteen eighty four. I I remember when that happened because it was a really big thing at the time. Um, the those are pretty much the 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 big ones that I found. There's a whole bunch of ah. There's a, an MMA fighter, Ivan J P Cole, who killed himself playing uh, Russian roulette in uh, twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's. Uh, that's a lot of information about uh, Russian roulette, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it fits in fits in really well here. What can I tell you? <laughs> and so you know, after jo- after Hans starts, uh, you know, shooting shooting the gun five times and nothing happens, just we're hearing the click and stuff like that. So John, you know, shows at this point how clever he was by the fact that he gave him an empty gun. You know, it makes you makes you wonder that if. You know, Bill Clay was really uh, a hostage who escaped. You know, what would have happened? He would have been in some place and he would be shooting at uh, at Carl and Carl would have shot him in a few seconds because, you know, he didn't have a gun with bullets in it. Mm, So so I guess it it shows that John really was suspicious of the fact that um, he had a high suspicion that this was not really a hostage. You know, for yeah. whatever reason, and then he says to he, he says to, to Hans, he goes, "Oops, no bullets." <laughs> you think I'm f- stupid, Hans? And then we hear like the ding of the elevator, and he and first of all, it's perfect timing for that elevator ding to go off. Mm. You know, and and at this point, Hans then says to him, "You were saying." <laughs> And the rest of the minute, which is almost, uh, it's a good 20, 25 seconds, it's all just action. You know, so at this point, you know, we see Carl, Franco, and Fritz come out of the elevator. And then John uh, looks at them and starts to run and scream as he's doing it. I don't know why he's screaming as he's, you know, running. And he opens fire into the elevator bank. And, you know, Carl manages to get over to the other side, but Fritz doesn't. And he basically you know, cuts Fritz in half with his, with his uh, shots. And then Franco uh, gets, takes cover on the, the other side. And like, he, he takes his gun and starts shooting it, shooting it. But that's like a really, really awkward angle. Do you see how he's shooting? I don't know how that's oh, possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that just doesn't seem plausible that someone could try and shoot that way. You know, he's just, just like he's trying to hook it around a corner. So exactly, like exactly. And I mean, maybe if he, maybe if he's a lefty, it's possible. I don't know. 
it's just it looks very strange the way that he's doing that. anyone anyone who's interested in seeing what we're talking about where you can go to second 48 and you'll be able to see exactly how he's holding that gun and that's just really really strange mm-hmm. and then carl begins to shoot back and ends up shattering three panels of glass as john continues to run away and then carl uh shoots again and we see three uh glass panels shatter but if you notice they're the same exact pa- uh, panels that he just shot beforehand it, it you know they they give it to us from a different angle to make it seem as if they're different ones but you know carl hasn't changed his position at all he's yeah. shooting from the same place so he wouldn't really be able to shoot another three panels like I further guess down they do they do occasionally in action films they'll shoot it from uh they'll often use multiple cameras for set pieces and uh They'll, they'll quite although that's no that's an unusual one because they quite often do it for explosions where they'll cut to a different angle and show it again but it's usually directly afterwards here you actually you do cut away to John running and then you cut back to the window almost as though it's it's pretending it's, it's another something set else. Of windows when exactly it so yeah it is an odd one it's slightly different to sorry no it doesn't cut back to John it cuts to the guy shooting cuts to Carl um, right yeah right now I mean earlier in this movie we we caught some uh, other scenes where. Where they showed like the, the when they shoot the rocket, you know when when uh, uh, Alexander and and James are shooting the rocket. So the second time they shoot it, it's just another shot of the first one. You know they don't yeah. really shoot it a second time. You know they use this they just use a different angle of that same shot. So I guess they they, they tried, you know they they tried fooling us. They didn't think that someone thirty four right. years from now would be doing thirty four years from then would be doing uh would be looking at the movie so uh so closely that we would be able to catch these type of things obviously cutting corners cutting costs exactly and then uh john continues to run and at this point both carl and franco can uh, start chasing him and john then jumps under a cubicle or over a cubicle and then we see that carl uh, basically kills a computer screen that that starts uh you know we see all these sparks flying out of the computer screen and carl just continues to shoot and then john ends up ducking under a table and that's pretty much how the this this minute ends so is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the script i guess what i found uh what i noticed watching these uh this second again i i i'll need to watch the other seconds again to see if it happens again but almost this entire a minute sorry not second is um is shot at a slightly dutch or can this cant or dutch angle however you call it where it's a slightly off kilter yeah. mm-hmm. i don't know if that's a, i'm wondering if that's a style thing or if it's because i guess in, in that moment you've got um you've got a bit of a flip-flop of situations so you kind of um, the the scene starts and you think Hans has got the upper hand. Then you start to realise John's got the upper hand. And then obviously it spins around again. Is it all about disorientating the audience and just kind of um, putting us off off kilter, so to speak? Is is that or what a Dutch angle is meant to do? It looks kind of cool. Is that what a Dutch... uh, well? I, well, it's used for different. Re- I, I think it can be used that for that occasionally. Like you'll you'll see it. Um, it kind of got used in film noir quite a bit back in the day. And and sometimes it'd be when the situation's a bit messed up. It it puts the because it's putting the audience at a slant so it's making you feel uncomfortable and not necessarily confused but it it kind of it puts you off it puts you off balance it's like being off balance because everything's at a at a tilt so i I do think it can be used as that for that sometimes like with any kind of 
camera techniques it's just used because it looks interesting which might may well be the case but um but I, I think it's it's worth worth toying with the idea that it was done on purpose at this moment of kind of uh treachery and confusion and and, and things like that i don't know what do you reckon um well first of all i'm i'm not a computer uh, i'm not a camera person so I, I I didn't even notice till you mentioned the fact that it was on an angle. You know, like, yeah, if you look almost every shot in that minute. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Long, no, once it, once you said it to me, I understood it. I mean, it's funny how it starts off that that John has his head tilted, so it's like he's already you know he knows that the camera's tilted, so he's tilting towards it. You know, the, he's got his like head leaning off to the right right hand side. So I think that's funny. Um, but I I think you're right. It does give us a a very uh, a unique view of everything that's going on, you know, because it's all slightly tilted on the side. Yeah, and there are a lot of clear lines in in each shot because of the 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 kind of set that they're in. There's loads of bold, clear lines that makes it really clear that you're at an angle as well. Right. Um, yeah. Correct. Whereas occasionally, if you're just shooting outside or something like that, you might not notice um, if the background's out of focus or what have you. Right. It's because of the, the, Here, on the walls, really they have like the you know they, they they look like all the different rectangles on the wall. Yeah, they're panels, 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 things. Yeah. yeah, and the windows and things. Yeah, it's true. All right, so the 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 script has some minor discrepancies because it's it's quite descriptive. I'm I'm gonna uh, go through some of it. So first of all, it says you know McLean just looks at him, Hans, you're Hans, and then Hans responds. It says nods, indicating McLean's gun again. Put it down now. And then McLean goes, that was tricky with the accent. I bet you do a great Ed Sullivan. <laughs> and he goes, why do you need the detonators, Hans? I already used the explosives. I'm going to count to three. McLean coldly, yeah, like you did with Takagi. McLean raises a machine gun, aims at Hans. Hans pulls the trigger. Click. Astonishment. Click, click, click. McLean steps in carefully, reclaims his pistol. McLean, you think I'm a schmuck, Hans? Hans pales as we hear the ding of an approaching approaching elevator. You were saying? McLean whirls in time to see Carl, Franco, and Fritz coming out of it, firing. McLean fires back, killing Fritz. Carl and Franco take cover. McLean ducks into a water cooler alcove, looks back at where Hans was. He's gone. A swinging office door, the only evidence of his passing. McLean curses himself, then retreats into a bank of computers. So I, I I mean I like the descriptive way that they you know I've I've never looked at a at an action movie before from you know, from a script perspective you know about how descriptive they need to be and they do a great job here of describing you know the the action of what's going on even though there's no water cooler alcove here or whatever but you know it still works you know I like it. yeah I guess I guess you get the actual moments of action action when you're shooting and running around is often quite brief it depends i think you'll you'll occasionally get some very detailed writers who'll break it down but i think quite often it's um I, i've heard i can't remember what film but i'm sure i've seen some special features where um they've, they've made some jokey comment where um a script will say the two characters fight but in actual fact, they spent like two months training, right. two weeks shooting, and like and had this epic action scene. <laughs> and the script's just like they fight. So that does happen. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah, but it, obviously it sounds it, it sounds from that script excerpt that, that they have kind of altered a bit. I don't know if it, obviously it might change as it goes on. Um, but it sounds like it it was 
it sounds almost like it was written as a lower budget film with a smaller scale office and stuff but yeah because here instead of just a little water cooler alcove you've got this giant bank of computers yeah. and these huge kind of office space and yeah especially back in the 80s when cool. when these computers were were these were super oh, yeah. computers you know, things like that <laughs> oh yeah right okay great so every monday we have a segment called die hard on a monday where my guests will give their top five die hard doppelganger films you know, movies that, that basically were spawned based on the idea of Die Hard. So what have you got for us, David? Cool. Um, I, it, this is tricky because there's quite a few decent kind of Die Hard knockoffs. And also there's, there's, there's um, it depends how kind of wide your spread is, because you can argue quite a few films that uh, are certainly influenced by it. Um, but I've tried to pick, I've, I've, I've got a mix. I've got a, a couple of kind of, uh, maybe more obvious choices and i've tried to throw a, a, a few kind of wild cards in there um but it's hard to na- narrow it down to my absolute favorite well just just yeah, to I mean, give you an idea so far of all the, the the guests that i've had i have 46 different movies that appear on this list wow yeah i was gonna say it's 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 you can kind of there's loads of good stuff you can put in there yeah. It, it's given me a good excuse because i knew i was on the podcast i've been trying to catch up on a few that i haven't seen and uh yeah, there's some good ones that I watched. Um, but in my list, I think a lot of them have remained. Well, the top three are certainly ones that are just old favourites. Um, although I must admit, I didn't rewatch them. So I haven't watched them for a while, some of them. But anyway, my number five, I'm going to go with something rather different. And I'm going to go with Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. So I don't know if, you, I don't know if this one will have come to the US. It's quite a, because Alan Partridge is a, um, he's a, he's a Steve Coogan's kind of, uh, most popular character um, that he's done on TV in the UK. He did several different series and radio shows and all sorts of things as this Alan Partridge character. I don't know if you're aware aware of him or know Alan Partridge. Yeah, I am. Um, I've, I've actually they, seen I've actually seen uh, Alpha Papa. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't have to explain too much. But, Not to me. But there, I'm scene, sure there are other people you might have to explain it to. <laughs> probably, yeah. But he's he's basically like um, he's a He's he's kind of a, a, a wannabe TV radio presenter who is uh, he's he's obsessed with fame and he's he's a bit of an asshole to put it bluntly and uh, he he always has a very grand opinion of himself. It's hard to hard to kind of explain it and um, a very inflated ego and uh, but re- in reality he's never really made it like it. his TV show goes wrong and he ends up on in some of his t- early TV show series and things he ends up on like regional radio and all this kind of stuff and uh, he- he's always ultimately a bit of a failure um, even if he acts like he isn't and and Alpha Papa is his kind of feature film debut after being largely just on the small screen in radio uh, and, and in Alpha, Alpha Papa he he's doing one of his regional radio uh, programs and uh basically one of his fellow uh one of his fellow um uh broad like uh what's the word anchors or uh, oh, my brain i can't think of the name kind of radio hosts one of his fellow hosts um he's an, an aging guy and he he's 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 gets sacked because there's a new company that comes into the radio station he gets sacked and uh and he just snaps and loses it so he takes everyone hostage and takes the whole radio station hostage uh demanding kind of his job back and all this kind of thing and uh because alan has a a a nice rapport with this guy he's kind of 
he's uh, although he manages to escape the siege he's sent back in to try and kind of negotiate and uh, and and everything but instead alan partridge uses this as an excuse to fuel his career and uh yeah and it goes on from there but it works as a diehard film because you've got this kind of siege situation yeah. and you've got this one man trying to solve it <laughs> even though he isn't really trying to solve it obviously it ends very differently to diehard yeah. but it's certainly it's certainly inspired by diehard and, and i enjoy it a lot it's a i'm a huge fan of the tv series so um and and i think this did a good job quite often tv series don't uh, transition to the film well at all but um i think they did a good job here so yeah okay that, that had to make my Great. list okay and uh, number four this is one that I, I did see recently just um trying to add some diehard clones to my list and this is a film called toy soul oh i love that um, love that movie yeah, it's uh, oh, I should look at more details, but um, yeah, it's 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 let me figure out when it, it came made, out in 1991. Yeah, and it's well, it's, well, it's, it's a special school for, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a school filled with quite uh, the children of quite rich, mainly very rich kind of wealthy parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's a lot of kind of troublemakers in the school. And uh, what happens is that a load of terrorists seize control of the boarding school um, and make a load of demands and stuff and keep, keep all the pupils prisoner um, if, until they get what they want um, from the government. Um, and what happens is a group of the um, of the students, uh, headed by Sean Astin, Billy Tepper, who's played played by <laughs> yeah Sean Astin, uh, they kind of come up with a plot to stop the Samwise. So it's, <laughs> yeah, so again, it's a bit diehard. Like a, unlike diehard, I guess there's a group of them rather than just one right. of them. Um, but it's got an, it's got a great cast of kind of up and comers at the time. So you've got Sean Astin, you've got Will Wheaton, um, T.K. Um, Carter. There's, there are some other. Yeah, uh, and, Lewis, Lewis Gustafson. Uh, I was going to say there's some good old. I was trying to find from Elliot the, from the young cast, but yeah, and it's um, and I just, it's it's not a mega famous film. It's kind of it's got its following, but um, but I watched it for the first time recently. I I, I can remember seeing the trailer a lot when it came out when I was a kid, and I just never got around to watching it. Uh, but watching it now, I think it really stands up surprisingly well. It's a really good film. It was, it say, was made by, I think, I think it was directed by Andrew Davis, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, uh, Daniel Petri Jr., oh. according to Andrew. Oh, okay. So I don't know um, why I thought I was... Not a known... I don't know, I don't know why I made that. Kidding. I thought it was... It, maybe he did something else recently, right before that. Maybe. But it, I, I just really enjoyed it. So I thought I'd stick it in the list as a bit of a semi-wild card. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, so the rest of my list. So number three, number three, I've gone with Conair. Um, I must admit, I've not seen it for quite a long time. Don't let, uh, don't let Jay hear me. No, well, to be honest, I was going to rewatch it for the, for this podcast, uh, but then I've been kind of hoping that Jay will invite me on his podcast, and he, he hasn't yet. But um, I, I was going to watch it closer to the time if I do get invited. Hint, hint. But um, but yeah, Conair, it's it's just. From what I remember, it's just it's just a lot of fun. It's goofy, it's over the top, and the diehard situation here is uh, you've got um, Nicholas Cage uh, is 
uh, a convict. He's, he's, if I remember correctly, he's getting released at yeah. the time. He's, he's on his way home or whatever. Um, but the the kind of transport plane that he's taken in is, which is filled with other convicts who aren't getting released, or at least most of them aren't. Um, the the other hostages, hostages, the other convicts take over the the plane, um, and uh, Nicholas Cage uh, is trying to. Stop them and get home, really, because he's he's supposed to be released, and uh, it goes on from there. And it's uh, it's just loads of fun. It's got uh, classic lines that kind of put the bunny in the box kind of thing. I, I keep I even say that to my kids when they when they're tidying up their room. <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's got great, way, ridiculously over the top action scenes. Again, like Toy Stories, it's got amazing cast, um, a really really good cast for a kind of uh, what could potentially just be a kind of cheesy action yeah. movie. Uh, and it just it just rolls along. It's just fun. Uh, so that had to make my list. I'm not sure it's quite as diehardy as some of the other ones, but it's still kind of enclosed kind of space, uh, kind of people taking a, a kind of a siege yeah. going on in a in a, mm-hmm. in a small enclosed space. So it fit, fits the yeah. bill. And then okay to number two. So number two, I've gone with Speed. This is one that I've not seen for a long time, but when I was young, I, I wore the videotape out. I used to watch it all the time. Um, <laughs> And so, yes, yeah, so you've got Keanu Reeves and uh, Sandra Bullock, who I, I just loved when I was, I was back then. Oh, well, still, still wouldn't say no these days. But, um, but yeah, the um, it's uh, it's just a really tightly directed, uh, just a classic action movie. Really, it's it's tense, it's exciting, it's got nice, good, strong characters. It's got a great villain in Dennis Hopper, um, uh, Keanu Reeves, and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Keanu, I love Keanu Reeves, but he's it really, without wanting to bash him because he's one of the nicest guys ever, he's not the best actor in the world, but given the right roles, he can really excel. And I think he works very well yes. in speed. Um, he, he's, he is a good action hero. He's got, he's, got, um, he's got enough charisma and he's got the kind of looks and, 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 and that kind of thing. And I, I just I just love it. As I say, it's been too long, but, um, but it's, it's still there in my memory. Well, now you have something uh, to put in your queue. Just, yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cool. And then that brings me to number one. So um, my, my number one, I've gone with, it had to be really, because I'm a big martial arts movie kind of nut. I had to go with The Raid, um, which uh, it's it's slightly different, I guess. Maybe you could argue it's not totally diehardy. But <clears throat> in my in my defense, because it's, it's not necessarily about um, kind of terrorists or anything like that, taking control of a small space and the bad and the good guy being stuck in it because really that the good guys go into the space which is already inhabited by mm-hmm. the bad guys but again it's got that enclosed thing you've got you've got what starts off as a team of kind of uh of of uh, SWAT team kind of cops or whatever trying to make the way to the top of the building and take out the main bad guy uh, and and that eventually gets whittled down to to very few kind of good guys um uh, so I think it's diehardy enough to put in the list, and it has to be the top. I, I adore this film. It's mainly for the action. It's it's so well choreographed and so well directed and edited. It's just it's it's really punchy. It's stylish. It's got an incredible energy to it. Um, you could argue it's a bit computer gamery in terms of like gamery, gamey in terms of like it's kind of levels. You, he's moving up the building like a, a, with a different boss each time or whatever. But I don't care. I think it works, and uh, it's just. It's insanely, insanely enjoyable, insanely exciting. Uh, so it had to make the list, even if it's 
maybe not as diehardy as some of the ones, but it's, it's close enough okay. for me. That's great. So you want to uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, uh, if you check out blueprintreview.co.uk, um, you'll find my reviews and the reviews of my other writers over there. We, we tend to review home entertainment releases, but not not um, not solely. So yeah, check right. it out. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast you're using to listen to this show. And you can find me very simply just by doing a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find my website, movieroundminute.com. You can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay Yippee-ki-yay, Kimusabi. <laughs>